you guys uh, know how to play poker? I just want to know what I'm dealing with. How many of you, raise your hands. You don't have to be shy. We're not that kind of church. If you know how poker works, or at least the gameplay. All right, so that's, that's a little less than I thought. But for everyone who didn't want to admit that you know how to play, uh, the way that the game goes is that in the beginning, everyone puts in an ante. So that's how much your initial bet is. You're saying this is how much I'm going to risk. And then each round, each player gets another card of their hand. And every round, you take a look at your card. Each player can make the decision if they want to pass, they just want to stay in the game, or they want to raise the bet. If they want to raise the bet, they're putting more money in, and anyone who wants to keep playing in that round has to match that amount. Or they could raise, and then you have to match that amount. If a player thinks, no, nah, that's too much, my hand doesn't look that good, they can do what's called a fold. They're going to fold. They're done with this game. They're not going to risk anymore. Now, there's another term in poker called going all in. And some of y'all might have heard of this, even if you never played poker. Going all in means that you're so sure that you're going to beat everyone else, that you push all your chips in the middle and you declare, I'm going all in which is usually, well, not always, but you, that's all the money you have left. And if someone matches you or if someone, if someone raises, you got to, I don't know, put your car keys in or something. Um, but when you go all in, if you lose, you're done. That's all the money you brought, pack up, go to the parking lot, go home, you're done. But if you win... Let's say your hand beats everyone else or everyone else folds. You get everything in the middle. Now, why am I talking about this? Well, it's applicable to our message today. Today, as uh, Pastor Justin mentioned, we are going into our second week of our novella, which takes place in the wild, wild west period of the judges. So this is a dark period in Israel's history. This is before Israel had any kings. God had given them the law. But no one was following it, so God was raising up these judges. But it was pretty much a lawless time. It was a lawless time. If you want to read a dark book, you could read the book of Judges. Um, but in this episode, we're going to see Naomi's daughters-in-law face a difficult decision, whether they want to fold their cards or whether they want to go all in. Now, what they decide is going to impact not only their own future, but it's going to solidify one of their places in God's redemptive history. So why don't you pray with me? Father God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for this building. We thank you that you allow us to gather to hear your word and to study it together. Lord, we thank you that your spirit is here with us, that you are the teacher. Lord, I pray that you would help me serve your people. Father, we pray that we would be able to hear from you this morning. And thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so let's turn to Ruth. Uh, if you have your Bibles, you could pull that out. It's a long passage today, so we were not able to fit everything into the bulletin. If you want to just listen, you can listen, but if you want to read along with me, you're going to have to either open your phones or your Bibles, people online. We are going to be reading from Ruth 1. Now, if you remember from last week, we met this family that resides in this period of the judges. We met this family, Elimelech and Naomi, and their two sons. 
And there was a famine where they were in Bethlehem. Now, this is an Israelite family. So they are a family of, of Israel. They, they worship the Lord God. But there was a famine. So they leave Bethlehem and they travel to this foreign nation called Moab. Moab has their own gods. They go there for 10 years. Tragedy happens. Elimelech dies. The two sons die. And now the only people left is Naomi, Orpah, and her two daughters-in-laws, Naomi, Orpah, and Ruth. So I'm going to read from the ESV translation, Ruth chapter 1. We're reading verse 6 to 22. Then she, so she is Naomi. Then Naomi arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on their way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they should become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait until they're grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, see, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the woman said, is this Naomi? She said to them, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. So this concludes the first chapter of Ruth. And the first chapter of Ruth is extremely poetic. It's extremely poetic. 
It's, it's in literary terms, it has a chiastic structure. If you guys know Greek, maybe if you were in a fraternity, there's a character uh, in the Greek alphabet called chi. It looks like an X. So a chiastic structure is where the story kind of starts in one context. It's going to go in this direction, and then it's going to go back and kind of finish back in the original context. So if you remember last week, Elimelech and Naomi and their two sons were in Bethlehem. They were in Judah, but there was a famine, so they had to leave. Now, is that me or is that you guys? Okay, so hold it closer. So they go to Moab, and now the famine is over. So you see Naomi coming back to Bethlehem, to Judah. But she's not coming back the same way. When she goes back, they're all like, Naomi, is this Naomi? We learned last week, Naomi, it means pleasant. And she's not pleasant anymore. She's like, don't even call me pleasant. Don't even call me by my name. Call me Mara, which means bitter. She said she went away full, not of food. There was a famine, but she was full. She had her husband and she had her sons. And now she's coming back. She says, I come back empty. The Lord has come out against me. She's lost her husband, she's lost her sons, and now she just has Orpah and Ruth, her two daughters-in-law. So you can think of chapter one, Bethlehem is kind of like the book ends. And we're going to be focusing on what happens in the middle. So what happens? Well, as Naomi and her daughters-in-law, they hear the famine is over, they prepare to come back, and Naomi breaks her silence. She tells them, go back, go back home. They're Moabite women, so she's like, go back home to your mother's house. She doesn't want them to come with her. It's a dramatic and emotional conversation. You could hear it in their voices. It says that all three women, there's three widows right now. Three widows, they're lifting up their voices. They're weeping. They're sobbing right now. They shared this tragedy. All three of them have lost their husbands. There's no children. They've lost their husbands. Ruth has lost her sons. And now Naomi, oh, I'm sorry, Naomi has lost her sons. And now Naomi is telling them to go home, and they might lose each other also. So Naomi exhorts. She says, go back, return to your mother's house. May the Lord, she's talking about her own God. Naomi's faith is still the God of Israel. She says, may the Lord be kind to you because you've been kind to us. May you find rest. May God give you rest in the house of your husband. She wants them to get married again. She wants them to have a future. She says, go back. Usually widows are told to go back to their father's house. But she says, go back to your mother's house because she's emphasizing usually it's the mom who gets her daughter ready for marriage. So she's like, go back to your mother's house. May God give you a husband, have a future. And what do the daughter, they call, she calls her her daughters. There's a lot of love here. And her daughters-in-law refuse. In verse 10, it says, no, we will go with you. We'll go with you back to your people. They're clinging on to her. They refuse to go. You can just imagine. It's a heartbreaking scene. There's this older woman. She's pushing these younger women. She's like, go, go get married. And it, it doesn't work. See, many times in our lives, our decisions get driven by this kind of strong emotion, this strong passion, this strong feeling. Strong feeling can cause us to pursue a relationship and start a relationship. It can cause us to end a relationship. It can cause us to quit our jobs. Maybe we have a strong passion for photography. I'm done with this nine to five office life. 
we can quit. I know someone who's so driven, who's so passionate, that after college, he started his own company. And then he started a church. And then he opened a coffee shop. He had four kids. He bought a house in Staten Island. He's trying to plant churches during a pandemic. During a pandemic. See, when we have this emotion, this vision, this feeling, we can make these big decisions. And I think we also have to be honest with ourselves. Sometimes our walks with Christ are driven by emotion, are fueled by feeling. I remember when I was young, so I did not grow up uh, in a Christian home. I became a Christian when I was 17. Someone invited me to her youth group when I was 16. And back then, we used to have these, like, praise nights where you would go, the lights would be off, they'd be blasting Christian music, and we'd be jumping. I don't know why Christians jump. We'd be jumping. Our hands are in the air. We're like, we love you, Jesus. Like, there was so much energy. There was so much feeling in our worship. Maybe you came from a tradition. Maybe y'all do that every single week. I don't know. But sometimes there's just this high. If you've ever been on a mission trip or maybe a retreat, you guys know what I mean when I say there's like a spiritual high. There's like an intimacy. There's a community. The last day, we all sit around the bonfire and we share all our secrets. And we're like, Jesus, I love this family. I love this church. I love you. And then when we come home, that high kind of sinks. So it's not wrong to have this emotion for Jesus. We should have this passion for him. But it doesn't mean that just because we feel these things, that the commitments we're making have any staying power. See, how we orient our lives can be driven by strong feeling. And Orpah and Ruth love Naomi so much that's what's happening here. They're like, no, we're going to go with you. So Naomi, she's a smart woman. She's like, this tactic isn't going to work. So she switches tactics. In the beginning, it's, it's all positive. It's like, may God give you a husband. May God give you rest. And it's almost like she, she turns into like a, a negative argument where she goes, return back. Why would you go with me? Why? I can't give you a husband. I can't give you a husband. And she concocts this crazy scenario. She's like, even if I had a husband, even if I got married today and I made sons, are you going to wait until they grow up? Are you going to refrain from marrying this like insane scenario to show them this is hopeless? It's hopeless. I can do nothing for you. I'm worthless to you. In her mind, she probably has in the law, of Moses, it says that if a man dies and his brother is to marry the widow and have more kids and continue the family line. So she probably has that in her mind when she's like, I can't make any more sons for you to marry. She goes even more extreme. She says that the, the she says she's very bitter because the hand of the Lord has come out against me. She's saying she's cursed. God is against me. You don't want none of this. Don't Come with me, go home, and have a future. And it's after this plea, it's after this argument, that Orpah, she kisses her, and she leaves. Orpah's been convinced. She's been convinced. She's like, you're right. I do want a future. I do want a husband. So she kisses her. She goes back to Moab. 
Naomi describes it like this. She has gone back to her people and to her gods. See, Orpah was so close. She was so close. She has left Naomi, but she's also left her opportunity to go to Judah, and she's left the chance to know the true God of Israel. She's left. You know, if our relationship with God is going to be fueled by these highs, by these emotions, eventually reason is going to catch up with us. Eventually, when we come back from that retreat, when we come back from that night of, come back from Sundays, if it's all been just this high, eventually our logic is gonna come up and tell us that something else is gonna be more worth it than this. I'll give you an example. I think this is pretty apt. A lot of times in the church, Christians who are Bible-believing, faithful, single men and women have trouble finding each other to marry. That's, that's due to a lot of reasons. If you're a faithful Christian, you're probably serving your church community. You're probably there every Sunday, and if there's no prospects there, chances are slim that you're going to meet someone else from another community. So it's, it's a problem and you love Jesus, and you want to walk with him, but reason comes up. And I see this happen a lot with women. The years are coming by, and you're like, I can't find anyone. I want a husband. I want a wife. I want a family. I want to have sex. I want what I want, and it's not being found in the church, so reason's going to tell us, hey, hey, this friend of mine from school, they don't know Jesus, but they're looking good. They like me. I like them. Maybe they'll become Christian after we get married. God, only God knows. And we start to, we st our steps start shifting. We were on our way to Judah, but these gods that we also worship are pulling us back to Moab. We leave this path to Judah. We leave the path where God is, and we go back to Moab. I'll give you another example. Maybe you're not single, maybe that didn't apply, but maybe you've fallen in love with the church community. Like when Zion started. Zion, we had so many dinner parties, there was so much activity going on, and we we're like, I love this church. I love, the spirit is here. I've made all new friends. I love them so much. And then the pandemic happens. And all of a sudden, that community that you fell in love with is now just faces on your computer. Now, all of a sudden, that community is different now. It's disjointed. People are scattered. People are scared of COVID. We're not gathering the same way that we did as we did before. And the feelings change. The feeling has changed. We go on Sundays. We feel social anxiety. There's people we don't know. It's been a minute since I've seen that person, but we used to be close. And it feels different now. So what will happen is that reason will come up and say, hey, it's easier to watch online. Hey, it's easier to chill with your friends from school, your friends from childhood. It's easier than coming to this place, starting all over again with the community. See, if we're just driven by emotion, if that's our walk with God, reason is going to pull us away from Judah and bring us back to Moab. Not much is said about Orpah's decision. 
She's actually never mentioned again in the biblical text. This is the end of the story for her. We don't know what happens. Jewish commentaries have some guesses, but all we know is that she's folded her cards and she's done. Sometimes our departure from Jesus can be just as subtle, just as simple. But now we're going to come to the part in the text where the other daughter-in-law speaks. So the other daughter-in-law, Ruth. Ruth has just as much emotion. She's also clinging to Naomi. She's also wanting to stay. But the words that Ruth says are very, very different. Ruth says she's had enough. She's like, don't tell me anymore. She's had enough of Naomi pleading with her to go. Ruth says, where you go. I feel like she's matching. You know, Naomi sounds like a huge drama queen right now, right? She's really dramatic. She's really intense. Now comes Ruth. I think Ruth goes even more intense. Ruth says, where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, your God, my God. Where you die, that's where I'm going to be buried. And she makes this vow. She says, may the Lord do to me and more also, if anything but death separates us, if anything but death parts me from you. She's calling upon the Lord God, Naomi's God. Israel's God. Remember, she's not Israel. She's from Moab. She has other gods. But she's calling on Israel's God to be a witness and judge to her vow right now. She's saying, may God do to me and more also if anything but death parts me from you. See, unlike Ruth, I mean, unlike Orpah who folded, Ruth is all in. Ruth is all in. Now, many of us, we could read this text and think, Oh, Ruth converted. She became a Christian, which is not true because Christ is not here yet. But she was like, she became a follower of God. That is not exactly what's happening here. She says, your God will be my God. But it's not the kind of idea like, uh, oh, she's accepted God into her heart. She prayed that prayer. She has salvation now. She doesn't know that kind of concept that we think of today when we think of accepting Christ. What she understands is that she's taking on a different identity. She wants to be like an Israelite, Naomi's identity. And if you're an Israelite, you worship the God of Israel. And that's what she means when she says, your God will be my God. And when we become a Christian, a lot of times it's a little fluffy but in reality, we are also shifting allegiances from the gods that we used to worship to the God of Israel, to the true God. And that sounds a bit scary to hear because a lot of us take our Christian faith for granted. We take it for granted. We think we can do everything. We think we can worship all the gods that we worshiped before and then add on Jesus. But God made it very clear way back in Exodus, back at Mount Sinai, to his people, God said, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall have no other gods before me. There is no such thing as a dual citizenship 
in the kingdom of God. You cannot worship the gods of Moab and also the God of Israel. But a lot of us live like that. And I'm going to talk about one that I think, I think is a God that many of us worship, and that's the God of money. See, for us, our finances, I don't think we realize, our finances have a hold on us. We will tithe. We will give to the church. We will give to the gospel, for the gospel to go forth. But we're also, we're going to invest in heaven, but we're also going to invest in these storehouses of grain. Because we want our lives here, our temporary lives, we want our lives here to be good too. We will give to the poor and the needy. But we're also thinking about that vacation we got in Cancun next month. We want that five-star resort. We have one foot in Judah. God, yes, I'm with you. But I also got this other thing that I'm thinking about. See, Jesus said about money, he says, no servant can serve two masters. He knows people are serving God and money. Otherwise, he wouldn't talk about it. He says, no one can serve two masters. You either serve God or money. See, in the scriptures, I think we gloss over these verses a lot. But there is a clear line drawn in the sand when you become a Christian. One of the hardest sayings recorded of Jesus in the Gospels is this. He says, Jesus says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own mother, his own father, his own brothers, his own sisters, even his own life, if he does not renounce all that he has, say goodbye to Moab, if he does not do this, he cannot be my disciple. The Lord God does not request or suggest that you go all in with him. He requires it. What does it mean when I say an all-in faith? What does it mean when I say that God wants us to go all in? Well, let's look at what Ruth says. Ruth's passion, her faithfulness to Naomi, should be the faithfulness and passion that we have for God. So what does that mean? Ruth says, where you go, I will go. We should say, where you go, Jesus, I will go. Where you go, that means I will go to the ends of the earth with you, Jesus, to make disciples for God's glory. I will go with you to the unclean places where people are demonized, where people are oppressed. I will go with you where you go. I will lodge where you lodge. That means that we might not have our comfortable home. We might not have the cushiness that we have now because I will lodge where you lodge. Your people shall be my people. That means the church, the spiritual community that you are building, God, that's going to be my family. That's going to be my family. Even what Ruth tells Naomi when she says, uh, where you die, I will be buried. There's hints of that in the text. In scripture, Paul writes to the Romans, he says that we were buried with Christ at baptism. We have died with him. But because we have committed to him, we will also be resurrected with him. See, this bond that we have with Christ, when we go all in with him, 
There's going to be a reward that comes back. There's going to be a reward that comes back. In the book of Matthew, Jesus knows, Jesus knows what he's asking from us. Jesus says, everyone who has left these houses, these brothers, sisters, father, mother, land for my namesake, everyone who's done this, everyone who's gone all in with me will receive back a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. The apostle Paul wrote to Timothy, if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. See, this is the surest and safest bet that we can make. There's no risk here. The scriptures talk about many other people. They talk about people who folded like Orpah, people who were so close, so close. There was a, in the New Testament, there's a, a man, who, a rich young man. One of the gospels call him a ruler. And he goes to Jesus and he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He's seeking, he's seeking eternal life. And Jesus tells him, go follow all the commandments. And the man says, I've done all this since I was a kid. Every single one, I followed them. And Jesus tells him, all right, cool. Go sell all your money, give to the poor, and come and follow me. And he walks away. He folds. He was so close. He was so close, but he could not give up his wealth. The scriptures also talk about many other people that went all in with Jesus, and their faith is remarkable, just like Ruth's faith to Naomi. Noah built an enormous boat and became a zookeeper because he believed God's word. I don't know how much lumber cost back then, but he was all in. He was all in. There was not a drop of water coming from the sky, but he was all in. This is what God said. This is what he was going to do. Abraham was going to sacrifice his son. Do you guys understand that? He was going to kill his son because he was so all in with God. It didn't mean he didn't love him. He just figured, oh, I guess God's going to bring him back to life, but I'm going to follow through with this. I'm going to follow through. I'm all in. God, whatever you want to do, I'm with you. In the New Testament, we'll jump, jump forward. There's a man named Zacchaeus. He was a tax collector. Everybody knew back then tax collectors were just lining their pockets with the money they were collecting. So Jesus goes to his home, and everyone's like, oh, my gosh, Jesus is eating with that sinner. And what does Zacchaeus say? Zacchaeus stands up. He was short, so he probably had to stand up on a chair. He was like, I am going to give half my money to the poor. That's it. You're calling me a sinner? If I defrauded anyone, I'm giving them back fourfold. Fourfold. He was all in. He met Jesus. Jesus was there. He was like, I'm in. I'm, I'm investing here. This is the Messiah. This is the king. I want to walk with him. Take my money. And what does Jesus say? Jesus says, salvation has come to this house. All these people, they went all in with God and they're going to receive a return. They're going to receive the reward that is due to them. I'm going to share a personal story with you. Years ago, when God called me to go into full-time ministry, I did not want to go. I didn't want to go. See, TIFF back then, I was working in tech. 
I had a career, I had money, I had an apartment, I had rabbits. You know you have too much money if you're raising exotic pets like rabbits. So I had two rabbits. I would go into Century 21, I'd come out with like four pairs of shoes. I didn't think anything of it. They tempt you, it was right next to the subway. I would come back with four pairs of shoes. It, wouldn't, it wasn't a thing for me. And then God said to quit your job and to go into full-time ministry, and I did not want to do that. And part of the reason why I didn't want to go was because I didn't think I had enough faith. So I didn't think I believed in him enough to do this. To, to go all in, to put all my eggs in this basket. I had enough faith to go to church. I had enough faith to serve him in church. I was serving him a lot. And I had enough faith to, to follow Jesus on my own. But to, to spend my life going, telling people the gospel, I didn't want to do that. And what happened was that I was in a crisis of faith for the next few months. I was in a crisis of faith because the Holy Spirit would not let up. And if you've ever wrestled with the Holy Spirit, you know it's not a good time. It was a, it was a few months of wrestling because I knew what that meant. I knew that if people were going to hell without knowledge of the gospel and without Jesus, if people really were going to hell, and I did not go and tell them about Christ, then that would mean that I didn't really believe what I said I believed. I didn't believe what I said I believed. And if I didn't believe what I said I believed, then I should probably stop calling myself a Christian because I'm just playing church. I'm just playing church. And I knew that. I knew that. See, we are called to commit our entire lives, our entire allegiance, our entire finances, our entire, all our relationships. Every part of us is given to God. Anything less than that is folding. We might as well pack up and go home. See, Ruth, Ruth doesn't know that her compassion for Naomi that her courage and loyalty, this choice where she's like, no, I'm going to go to Israel and be like an Israelite. She doesn't know that God's going to reward her for this. She doesn't know that her great-grandson is going to be the famous king, of David, king David, king of Israel. She doesn't know this yet. She doesn't know that she is going to be part of the line that births the Messiah. She doesn't know this. She's just being courageous, but we know, we know that if we go all in with Christ, we know that this is a sure bet. We know that we will inherit eternal life. We know we are guaranteed, we are solidifying our place in the kingdom of God. So what do we do then? So this is a hard message. So what do we do? Scriptures say, examine yourselves. Check yourselves. Check yourselves to make sure you are in the faith and that you are all in. And sometimes we don't know this until something is asked from us. I was a good Christian, and I did not know 
that I had not submitted my whole self to God until I was asked to give up those things that I was holding on to. I did not know. And many of us sit here, we go to church every single week, maybe we're serving, maybe we're leading a Bible study, and we still, we don't know until God speaks. And then we're like, I, I can't give that up. I can't give that up. So let's ask ourselves, are we all in with Christ? Are we going where he's going? Are we lodging where he's lodging? Are his people our people? Or are we kind of gods of Moab and gods of Judah at the same time? Following God requires our all-in faith. And he deserves that. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word. Thank you for your calling for us to follow you and the grace that you have for us. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.